0: So,
1: and if you believe it
0: in. Sometimes I believe as many as six inches of the things breakfast Hey everyone, let's believe the impossible. Welcome to the Eat Me Drink Me podcast. We hope our stories inspire you to follow Holy Spirit as Alice followed the white Rabbit, but into Jesus's Wonderland where we get to rest in, explore, and celebrate everything that he has made available to us, not just in heaven, but here on earth, right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this will be fun. Uh, Dave Vaughn, thank you for joining the show today. I'm so honored and blessed to have you here.
2: Thank you for inviting me. I don't get too many invites these days. (laughs) So it's nice to be invited anywhere.
0: We'll probably get more and more.
2: i plenty time on my hands these days for certain.
0: <laughs> well,
2: I can have a look if I can fit people in, I'm sure i got a slot somewhere.
0: <laughs> you never know, it seems like God just keeps dropping stuff in your lap.
3: Yeah, I'm having a great time at the moment, in all fairness. I've just happened upon this beautiful coastland of Wales after being deported from America. The immigration people decided they didn't want me in the country anymore so they sent me home just before Christmas actually and I'm in a beautiful place here in um, on the coast of West Wales called Swansea and like, uh, you look from my bedroom window you can see the ocean and it's the first time in, in I don't know how many years that I feel at home you know wow. like home that whole concept of home is such a weird thing and I feel like for the last seven years I've just been wandering and just uh like like a like a vagabond really, you know, no matter where I've been, no matter where I've stayed, I've just felt totally homeless in myself. and when I came back to the UK, you know, obviously God's presence had been touching me for a couple of years, and then I found myself coming and living here in Swansea and, and when I first came to this home where I'm staying now, I just cried for like two or three days because I felt settled, I felt at home. I felt like I was in a totally new place, and it was so beautiful and yeah i' am actually doing really, really well, really well um, so yeah it's it's exciting for me
0: that's so awesome. I'm really excited for you to share your story with us and um I'd love to start back to you know just what your faith journey has been like in general, even just leading up to you falling in love with jesus and and then you said you've kind of slipped away from that for a while and then now you've come back into it because his love you know it's like and i've followed your ministry off and on over the years so to my knowledge your story is one of the most powerful prodigal you know the best way to relate it is to like the prodigal son story in a way um and i've heard you reference that yourself and seeing you cry about it because it's just touched you in such a deep way. It's like you really have experienced that for yourself. And and I feel like I've seen the fruit of that. And so I really would just appreciate giving you this opportunity to just process and to share.
3: Thank you. That's beautiful. Yeah, I've actually got, um, I'll be setting up my own podcast soon. and The name of it is going to be Prodigal Parties. Because just like you said, you know, I do feel like that prodigal, you know. Just I definitely spent my, my a fair a fair bit of my time in that pig pen, you know, um and and the restoration of God has come to me in such a powerful way and what I've been experiencing the last two and a half years, which I'll talk about probably in a little bit, has just been a manifestation of God's redemptive loving glory. You know, the the realization that mercy triumphs over judgment that we can never escape his presence but he's continually there you know that mercy triumphs every time you know that we may kick and fight and pull away from God's presence and you know feel that like you know we don't need him anymore but the reality of it is he's never far from any one of us you know and that's been my revelation again after not really experiencing God's presence for about four or five years, and after doing all I could to to kick away and find a better way of living, I, I soon realized there is no better way of living than, than God's presence. And, you know, he visited me, and I'll share that in a little bit. But, yeah, I think you know, I, I, my story is a little bit of a weird one because when, when I was really young, and I don't know whether it was when I was in my mother's womb, or when, when I was like a little tiny baby, or when I was a toddler, I had this memory of me saying, I want to go and I want to be a boy.
1: Oh, and
3: wow. so it was such a powerful memory, and for for probably 40 years I tried to work out what that was. How I can remember the moment in time where I said, I want to come into this earth, and I want to be a boy. want I want I I this body, I want to be this person. And that is just incredible, and it, it took me probably 40 years to work out that somehow we were in Christ, in God, before the foundation of the world, that we're manifestations, we're sons and daughters of God into this earth, but that somehow we always existed in a pre-incarnate state, in the very heart and nature of God, whatever form that was.
0: <laughs> it's before- already getting blasted. <laughs>
2: Before the world ever was, you know, Christ said, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. And there is something about being, knowing that we are in God continually, that somehow we help to make up the fabric
3: and the fiber of everything that he is. And that there was a moment in time where I was released into this earth. And how crazy is it that remember to remember that memory, to have that memory of saying, I want to go and I want to be a boy. And somehow he then chose, you know, my boundaries and who my mother would be and all that sort of stuff. I suppose that was out of my control. But uh, it did seem that somehow I was very excited to come into this world. And I remember growing up, I started having some really, really unusual sort of encounters. So when I, was, when I was a child, maybe six, seven, eight years of age, my mom and dad would put me to bed. And I remember I'd be led there in bed and the lights would be off And then through the walls of the bedroom, these angelic beings would come through the walls. And, like, I would see them coming through. I would see their faces pushing through, and they'd be looking at me, and they would come into the room. And I would start screaming, Dad! Dad! And I'd start screaming, and my dad would come up, and he'd say, What is it? What is it? And I'd say, They're coming through the walls. They're coming through the walls. And he would say... These
2: walls are solid. Nothing can get through these walls. And he would pound the walls and he'd say, Look,
3: these walls are solid. Nothing can come through. And I'd say, No, they come through, Dad. And once you're gone, they'll come through again. And yeah. he'll say, Now, sit down them and go to
2: sleep. And like, he would, sure enough, you know, he would leave and these like beans would come through the wall. And it was like as if they were interested in me and who I was, you know?
3: Yeah. It frightened a snot out of me. Garby said it wasn't, it wasn't nice. And then I started having these other weird supernatural experiences where, you know, I would be walking home. I remember the one day I was walking home from school and there was a rugby pitch. We play a lot of rugby here in the UK, so there's rugby pitches everywhere, the same as there is American football pitches over there and stuff. And I remember I used to have to walk up by the side of this rugby pitch. And I remember I looked over the rugby pitch and there was trees on the other side of the rugby pitch and there was a strong, strong wind and it was blowing all the trees over. But where I was on this side of the rugby pitch, there was no wind. There was absolutely no wind there. And I remember like thinking, why is there like no wind by here? And yet 50 yards away, the trees are getting totally obliterated by this wind. And then suddenly I started feeling, you know, the presence of God. And I started feeling God's love. And I started realizing that God was in the wind and that he was getting my attention. And it frightened the snot out of me. And I ran the whole way home. And I said to my mom, my man, man. She's like, What's wrong, son? And I'm like, The wind. There's this wind blowing. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. And I'm like, What do I do, man? And she's like, Son, just calm down. You know, I, like, I, had this, I had this upbringing of being told to calm down because I was having these weird supernatural encounters and I didn't know what to do with them, you know? And then the weirdest thing. This is probably the weirdest thing, and it'll probably like freak some people out. But this is the truth. Okay. Like that. Up until probably the age of twenty-one, I was trying to make sense of, you know, what was going on in the world. I knew there was a God, but like, what was I doing here? And like, why was I having these crazy supernatural encounters? And like, at twenty-one is when I really first had this awakening, which I'll talk about in a second. But I remember I was in this bar with my friend, and I had this ferret. You guys have probably got ferrets over there in America. I had this ferret, and it was called Ronald Citizen Biggs, who was a great train robber That's over awesome. here. He this ferret with me on a lead. He had a little harness, and I would take him on the lead down to the pub where I was going, and I was like 19 years of age. And this one day, it was like a Tuesday night, and I'm in the pub with my friend, and I'm sat in there, and I've got my ferret in my pocket, And my friend sat opposite me, and he said, you know what, he said, I want a ferret like yours. He said, you've got your ferret. I want my ferret. And all of a sudden, I heard myself say the following thing. I said, what if all of a sudden the door of the pub opened and a ferret that looks like mine comes walking in through the door, comes over to the table, you pick it up and put it in your pocket? And he said, what? He said, what did you just say? And I said... I don't know. I said, I don't know why I said it, and I don't know what I just said. And then he said, but what did you say? And I said, I said, what if the door of the pub opens and a ferret that looks just like mine comes walking into the bar, comes over to the table, you pick it up and put it in your pocket. And he goes, dude, that's crazy. And and this is no word of a lie, Audrey, about 15 seconds later, the bar of the bar do- the door for the bar creaks open and in comes a ferret that looks just like mine, and it walks across the floor over to the table. He picked it up and put it in his pocket, and he had a ferret just like mine. And it was, I think it was at that point I realized that like my life was a little bit unusual, that probably, probably there was a God that was very, very real, and that somehow I was connected to him, and that, you know, I probably should go on a journey of discovering what that meant, you know? Yeah. And then I think that deepened then my desire to find out, you know, I think I was taking drugs at the time and drinking quite a bit. And I was like, man, I need to, I need to find out what this God is all about. And then it wasn't long after that that I was walking down the road from my mother's to my home. I was 21 years of age. And I remember all of a sudden I just got like arrested by the glory of God. And, you know, that presence is just, uh, it's, you can't you can't define that thing, man. That is just, when that presence comes on you and it arrests you, you know, and suddenly it's like everything around you stops and grinds to a halt. And the cars seemed to, like, stop. And there was no people on the road. And it was, like, just me in a bubble of this presence. And I hear the Lord just start speaking to me and showing me that he loved me and that I needed to give my life to him. And then that Sunday, I went to a church, and I can't remember what the guy said, but every word he said was for me. I remember just surrendering my life to God, and instantly, I was transformed. All of my desire for drink, drugs, everything went, everything just disappeared. And it was like as if I was filled with this desire to see revival hit the UK, and I just got so passionate for God's presence, you know, and I would spend hours and hours just just seeking Him, just desiring Him, just just wanting more of Him in my life. And thankfully now we've got a lot better revelation of the Gospels. We now realize that like we haven't really got to go anywhere or do anything that we're fully included in Christ and that His presence fills us and permeates us. So, you know, but back then I just used to go into my bedroom and lock the door and get on my knees and I would just cry out for God to touch me in some amazing way. And I started having visions and encounters and things really blew up from there, you know. That's sort of how things started and how grace started to get revealed to me and how God's mercy started touching my life and it's been a it's been a wild ride since then. Lots of things have happened since then, but I am just as addicted now to God's presence as I was then. I'm just I'm still so adamant that God's glory wants to be revealed through us into the world and we're going to see something so powerful happen. Like where I live here in Wales, I literally live about a 15-minute drive from where the Welsh Revival happened with Evan Roberts. And I live, I actually live about a mile away from the Bible College of Wales where Reese Howells, um, you know, Back then, in the day, years ago, probably people would have read Resouls intercess of the book by Norman Grubb I just did, in a yeah,
0: back days. in the day
3: i live I literally live like right there where it's i like occasionally I'll go to the Bible college and I'll just sit in the grounds and just experience god's glory there and and just feel you know what it would have been like back in the day to be there with it with resou you know um That's awesome. so yeah, times.
0: I'd forgotten about that book until just now you mentioned it. And the name was just like, whoosh, yeah, that book changed my life.
3: <laughs> yeah, it did for me, too. Remember the first time I read it, it was like, damn, what is this? Like, what is going on? What was going on with this guy? And I've sort of recently just been beginning to understand some of what he talked about, what he talked about coming to a place of faith. So he would he would get a desire for something And then that desire would grip his heart, and then he would like allow himself to sink into that desire. And then he would come to a point of faith where he realized that that desire was fulfilled. Mm. And then at that point, he knew he didn't have to ask about it anymore. He didn't have to pray into it anymore. He didn't have to do anything. That wherever it was, and it could have been anything like houses and land and wherever, it was totally his and I've been experiencing some of that, Audrey, um, since I got back here to the UK. I've, I've been on this incredible journey. Obviously, I came back here with absolutely nothing. So I've had to start afresh again, again, again. Yeah. And um, so here I am in the UK, and I had absolutely nothing. And I didn't know where I was going to live, and I didn't have a car, and I didn't have anything. And God started to work in me in a really unusual way where he would give me a desire for something. And when that desire would come and awaken on the inside of me, I would just realize that the very fact that God gave me that desire meant that that thing was about to come into my life. Yeah. And I would just get happy about it, and I would start talking about it. And I'd say, you yeah, know, well, this is what's going to happen. And usually, within within an hour, the very thing that I would desire would start, would manifest in my life through someone calling me up, someone saying something to me, and I would never tell anyone what, I, what, I, you know, what was going to come. I would just get excited about it, you know? And then, and then everything started to come into place to the point that um, the last thing really that manifested in my life was, this is a really, really crazy story. So I was in a kebab shop just down the road here, and I'm in this kebab shop, and I see this girl. There's a girl and a guy there, and they're a very, like, unfitting couple, like the guy is like six foot five and he's got dreadlocks and he's got dark hair and the girl's about five foot tall. He's huge, she's short, and like she's looking up in his eyes as they're waiting for their food to come and she's just so in love with him. And I just, I just looked at it for about fifteen minutes. I thought, man, those guys are so in love. That's just so incredible. Check this out. And the, and I and I just awakened a desire in me to be with the right person to have to have my woman in my life, to have my bride in my life. And uh, I came home and the next morning I woke up and God's glory was in the room. And I said, Lord, I said, I want, I want my lover. And he said this to me, he said, I want my lover too, Dave. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that I was actually mirroring something of God's desire for love from his bride, you know. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: And I said, Lord, I said, if you, if you give me my wife, I said, I will give you my life in a new way. And I said, "I will. we will see revival come again to this land. And then I started telling people, I started sharing with people, I will have my wife within the next two to three weeks. And people were like looking at me like, Dave, you're nuts, man. Like, what are you talking about? And I said, no, I'm going to have my wife within two to three weeks. I they were like, Dave, what are you talking about, you know? And I said, God's going to give me my wife. And I didn't, I, I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know what was going to happen. And then a, a strange set of affairs, basically, um, someone who I knew from 15 years ago, this beautiful woman called Sarah. She's just glorious. She used to come to our meetings years ago, and she was part of a team, you know, when me and Justin Abraham used to do things back in the day. She would come in on our teams with us, and she would support us and everything. And then all of a sudden, like, she gets in touch with me and said, you're living in Swansea? I live in Swansea. And I'm like, yeah, I'm living in Swansea. So we went out and had a drink together and ended up, like, realizing we were just so compatible. We had so much in common. And now I've fallen in love with just the most beautiful woman, and I'm so happy. And right. um, it all came through that realm of desire, you know. You know, Jesus said, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, ask, believing, and you'll receive them. You know, and there's something amazing about that. So that's sort of been a new thing that's been awakening in me. And there's been things that I've been desiring recently, um, the gift of faith. I feel like God is is, is, is wanting to release to us the gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gifts of healings. So that's been a fresh desire now that's been manifesting in me. And what that's been doing with me is like giving me a super excitement to see something very organic break out. You know, on the streets, in coffee shops, when we go out for meals to see the sick healed, you know, and eventually yeah. the dead raised, you know, that's sort of where I'm at to see just such a beautifully organic move of the spirit through us with signs and wonders that is just going to touch the world in a new way, you know, no pressure, no responsibility. It's not about works, it's just about this intimate relationship with God where He reveals through us His desires. And as we somehow like connect with with his heart and with his desire for us and for the nations, then somehow it begins to manifest you know
0: yeah I agree that's amazing I see and I see that happening and I I really feel like the church is growing more and more into understanding what Jesus really did for us and that mystical union that we have with them and that power that can just flow a lot of this naturally it doesn't have to be something that is worked up to because like you're talking about um the guy that wrote the intercessory book what was his name again Reece guy, his the House. guy who wrote
3: it was still norman grubb but oh. it was uh, it was about reese howells yeah reese howells okay. is god okay yeah. so
0: how he would just have this desire and then he would sit in that desire until like the faith was there and then it just He knew that he didn't have to beg and plead for it. And I think in that that moment of waiting, it's like that intimate place with God. Like you're just in that place with the Lord, letting the Lord implant those desires. And you know that if God's implanting those desires, like you said, you know it's going to happen. So Um, I see that happening more and more because you just can't deny that that's in the scriptures, you know, that that is it's the way that holy spirit wants to move through us
3: i think it's a major key you know i think i can see a lot of people going around and, and just talking about the fact that we have everything in christ and we do you know we have all abundance we have everything that we need like there is no lack there is zero lack in this kingdom we you know we we have a kingdom within us and a kingdom all around us which is bursting with life and with energy and with provision and with fullness and with everything. And like but how do we manifest those things into our life? And that's where I think desire comes in. You know, that's where I think that whole realm of desire is so important and that's where I've been thinking about a lot. Is God knows more than us what we actually need, you know? Yeah. We can keep saying we have no needs, and we don't have no needs because in that realm of the kingdom everything has already been provided. But how would how do we manifest things into this into this material physical world? And there is something about like um our intimacy with God and our awareness of God, where he then begins to reveal to us like what it is down the road that He wants to birth into our life because He knows more than us what we need. We can't get away from that, yeah. you know? Like, And that's been, that's been a little bit about what I've been understanding recently is, I think probably about six years ago, I went down a road that was just like, it wasn't beneficial. And I, and I think, you know, Scripture's quite clear where it says, all things are permissible. Everything's permissible. You know, mm-hmm. but not everything is beneficial. Mm-hmm. And I think I took upon myself through the help of certain people around me, which wasn't really that much help, this idea that, like, you know, we are almost God in the earth, that we can do whatever, that, like, suddenly, you know, it was about, it was more about us and what we walked in rather than about having an intimate relationship with this creative God, this Father, Son, Holy Ghost who, who so loved us that did everything that they could for us to walk in total freedom and in total surrender, you know, in a beautiful way. And I think I forgot that. And I think in some ways I just got distracted down a road that was like, you know, permissible to me, but it definitely wasn't beneficial. And I think you come to a point where you feel like, you know, um, you are God, like you have the ability to do whatever. And in many ways, There is nuances to that that is true. You know, we are made in the very image of God. We have got the power to create and everything. But what it does is it disconnects us from the reality that we have a relationship with this God that we have a Father who loves us, that we have this great Holy Ghost, this paraclete, this comforter who wants to draw alongside us and wants union with us, wants intimacy with us, wants us to enjoy that everlasting union that we have with this Godhead, you know? And I think I just went off on this crazy tangent and, you know, part of my restoration, part of the redemptive power that I've been experiencing is recognizing again that I'm actually not just a son of God, but I'm in a relationship with this triune God, this family, I'm part of this family that is way bigger than just me, mm-hmm. you know? I may carry the DNA of God, but God is a totally different entity in many ways that I'm very much connected to, and I am I very much look like and am, but it's a separate deal here, right. you know? We have this relation. it's about a relationship more than... Us being set up as gods in the earth, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and it's, it's it's a very different way of thinking. It's very it's very subtle and it's very slight. And I definitely went down a road, you know, with my partner back then of just this new age sort of, you know, bullshit. Really, just call it what it is. Mm-hmm. No matter what we explored, I never experienced anything of the presence of God that that I knew in the past. I mean, I was Dave the drunk, you know. I was the drunk guy, I was the guy that was experiencing God's glory to such an extent that people wanted to travel from all around the world to come to my home. I mean, I would have pastors travel just to sit in my living room with me for the day, and they would leave me big fat gifts and say, "Dave, what are you experiencing here You know I remember Excellent. I remember yeah. just because back in about two thousand and four or five I started praying with Justin, you know, and we set up this ministry called Emerge Wales, but before we set up the ministry. We would just be there praying together. We, you know, we would pray and just pull on heaven and was so desperate to see God do something, you know, and I remember God's glory started touching me and there was just a weight of the presence that would sit on me and I would spend weeks at a time just glued to my sofa, you know, and the presence of God would come very heavy and then I would be having these encounters where I would see things that would happen later that day and little diamonds would like bounce off my laminate flooring and I'd be getting covenant gold dust, and my kids started. I mean, like visions of angels and everything, and dreams, and it'd be like a mist that would come in my room. And like, I mean, I would, I, I, I would see different nations that were about to open up. And then the next day, I would have a, an email from those nations, you know, from people that I didn't even know who they were. And I mean, it was just this super awareness of God's glory and the potential in that glory started to manifest in, in my life. And I remember Justin coming into my home one day, and he walked in. I hadn't seen him for a few days, and he he just he just straight away saw the glory of God in my room. And I'm just laid on my sofa, and he said, "What have you been doing, man?" And I said, "I've just been yeah, I've just
2: been here in the glory." And he said, "Dude, do you realise how powerful this is?" And I said, "Yeah, man." I said, "Like I just glued to my sofa for days." And he said, "Man." Wales hasn't seen nothing like this for so long. He said, we need to get this out. And then he said, come on, man.
3: He said, pray with me. And as we prayed, he saw a vision of a flyer, of a conference that we needed to put on called Closer to the Flame. And he saw the font of it, and he saw exactly how it should look. And he said, man, he said, you've been locked up in here. you said, have been experiencing this for so long. He said, the church needs this. I'm going to put this conference on, and this, this go and, like, do something, And no one knew who we were, like literally no one knew. And it was before Facebook, I'm talking in 2006, before Facebook and all that, it was before, you know, social media, like how do you advertise things? So he got this flyer together, printed out a thousand copies and just sent like a hundred in each letter to all these churches around the UK and said, we're putting this conference on, we're experiencing the glory of God. If some of your congregation want to come, that'll be good just sent it out. We didn't know how many people were going to show out. And then he looked at me and he said, Vaughn, he said, this is what I wanted you to do. He said, you don't have to do anything in this meet in these meetings at all, but at some point, I'm going to wheel you to the front and you're going to sit there and you're going to tell the people what's happening in this room right now. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And I remember we put that conference on, it was like 200 people showed up, That was in 2006. And I remember the second afternoon, he just sat me on the stage and I just shared for 15 minutes about the glory of God of what had been impacting me. And I remember people started screaming and falling out of their chairs and people started going into encounters. And it was that really that launched us out. And it was it was the glory of God, man. It was the presence of God. Like, where can we go without his presence? If his presence didn't go with us, then don't lead us up, you know? And that little journey that I went on, that diversion that I went on, which God was in, God was there with me. You remember Joseph ends up in prison, and it's like he hadn't done nothing wrong, and there he is in prison for a couple of years. And, like, God could have got him out of the prison whenever he wanted to, but, like, he's just left him there in the prison. And then there's this one scripture that says, you know, and God was there with him the whole time. And that's the crazy thing. Like, I, I feel I departed from really the the rationalization of who I am as the son of God. And I diverted down this crazy, crazy road. And I realized there was no presence there. There was no glory there. My life just became really, really miserable to the point that I just ended up in a weird, codependent, toxic relationship that just wasn't good for me or for the other person. And then eventually I ended up in prison for a domestic violence situation which, you know, was I'm not proud of. I've you know, I've put videos out there where I've explained the situation. I'm ashamed of 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 being in that situation. The hurt and the pain that I caused, you know, is is just awful and horrendous. And I it was the first time in fifty two years I'd ever been in trouble with the police, you know? Um and I look at it now weirdly as like I was living in the consequences, really, of some really poor decisions that were fueled by really poor decisions. (laughs) You know, you start making some decisions and going out of sync a little bit, and then before you know it, you're a mile away from where you should be. And then there's elements of you that starts to come out that, like, are not good, you know? And it's because your mind has just gone down this crazy road. And I remember I ended up getting arrested And I remember I was in a jail cell, and I remember waking up in Twin Falls, Idaho, in the county jail there. And I remember as my eyes opened up, the glory of God was there to meet with me for the first time in, man, five, six years. God's presence. I felt God's presence. His glory was just resting there in that jail cell. And I remember his words. He said, you know why? He said, you've been running from me. And he said, I've been waiting for you to come and fall on me, and you haven't. He said, but now I'm falling on you. And he said, I'm going to reveal to you one thing. And he said, that one thing is that mercy triumphs over judgment. And I knew that on the outside of that jail cell, my whole life was falling apart. I knew that things were in motion that you know, were going to change my life forever, that it wasn't going to be good. And it would probably take years for me to come back to a point where You know, people loved me and respected me and, you know, where friendships would be solid again and different things, you know. I knew that, like, I was going to have a hard road that I was going to have to walk down. But for the next probably, it was was months, but every day God would take me up in the glory. And I would sit in this expanded place in the heavens. And he would show me visions of the woman caught in adultery, the prodigal son, and he would start to show me his heart of mercy towards these people and his grace that was revealed right then to individuals because his love was so strong. And in that place of glory, you know, I would just sit there for eight hours in these jail cells with my tears streaming down my face, and I would try and write down and communicate to myself, really, you know, what I was experiencing, and in all of that, God just ripped up the foundation that was there and just relayed a new foundation in me of the grace and the mercy of God, and um, it's just been an amazing journey, Audrey. It's just been an incredible journey, you know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a place right now that, like, I believe that God's glory is going to be revealed through me in a way that it never has before. I believe that he wants not just to me to have a beautiful, intimate relationship with him, but to change this world again, you know? I'm super excited about it. And it's such an obnoxious message in there. It's like, you know, became new age and, like, you know, he ended up in a domestic violence situation and, like, he deserves nothing. We all pretty much deserve I mean, what do any of us deserve right. anyway? Right. You know what I mean? And it's like... The
2: prodigal goes and he wastes everything, you know he what I mean? He squanders
0: like, it, he uses people. Like,
3: he gets up in this terrible situation and then, like, he looks up and the father is just bursting towards him, you know, and he lavishes on him and he gives him a ring and he gives him a robe and he's like, "He's my son, he's back, you know, and it's like we don't understand that because in our carnal mind, we you know, a mind that so needs to be renewed by the glory of God, all we can see is that person is messed up. there needs to be some significant restitution. there has to be some like crazy process that they go through of like um of like you know repaying everything and showing that they you know are not that person anymore, and maybe eventually you know they'll get to a point where You know, they can clean the toilet in the church or wherever it is, and like the reality of it is God comes and He just lavishes on us. Yeah. And I've been experiencing things in God the last especially the last few months that is beyond anything that I've experienced before. And it's so filled with love and mercy and and I don't understand, like I know that of myself, you know, I don't deserve any of that stuff. But that isn't now the whole thing of grace. The whole point of grace is we receive a gift that we didn't didn't deserve. Mm -hmm. Like, who deserves this greatness that we have from God? Which one of us can boast in any of those things, you know? There's no one, man. There is none that does good. No, no one. There is no one that can boast in that stuff. And if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in the reality that God came to me, that he poured into me, that he loved on me, that he lavished on me, and that somehow... In all of my undeserved state, he restored me right back there. And he doesn't like, you know, it's it's amazing. He he just takes you to a greater place than you were before. It's like he doesn't take you back to where you were. It's almost like he supersedes that. He transcends (laughs) that. Because then that shows how much he loves you even more to you. Oh, yeah. It's amazing, Audrey.
0: That's so beautiful. Wow. Um, would you maybe be able to just touch a little bit more on, you know, how do you go from being in that thick, weighty glory, living a life almost like Solomon, you know, it's like people are bringing you gifts, people are just wanting to, like, catch what you have, and to slip into, slip into new age, slip into that, I mean, I know that you said that you began to believe that maybe you were like your own God or a God. Um, is there anything more though, that you feel like drew you into that place or is that the gist of it?
3: I think, I think there was, um, I, I remember coming to a point where I was in ministry And two things started happening to me. The first thing that started happening to me was I went through a bit of a theological crisis. And I started to question certain scriptures that I was 100% committed to. And um, things uh, things that were foundational in my life in terms of what I believed, I started questioning some of that stuff. And looking at it now, like... I should, And I remember I got in touch with John Crowder and I got in touch with a few people and I said to them, look, you know, I'm having problems with this scripture. Like, is there any way you can help me? And I can't even remember what the scriptures were now, but they were, they were based around, you know, um, the crucifixion and stuff and other things. And looking at it now, it was almost like some sort of a seed was planted that started to really like root into my faith. And unearthed my faith in some way, and what I should have done when those when those when those questions came was just shut them down right there. But I think there was almost like a wave that came where people in the body of Christ started like you know looking elsewhere, I started connecting to like um other faiths, I started like questioning you know a lot of the of the Christian reality, you know. And I think that I definitely went down that road. And then and then in that you find yourself connecting with people of like mind who are also questioning some stuff. And I think there's certain things that are fundamental, that if we begin to question those things, there is only one way that we're going to go. You know, I think, you know, the reality of God, um, the Trinity, the fact that Christ died as and for us, You know, the reality of Jesus Christ as Savior and Redeemer and all that stuff. I think once you start to question those things, you're on a really slippery road, you know. And I think I definitely went down that road. The second thing that was happening to me at that time as well was I started seeing things within the circles, within the, the, um, uh, the system that I was involved in. That whole grace movement that I was involved in, and how how that manifested in terms of meetings and conferences and all that stuff that I started to become sick of you know mm-hmm. you know there was there was a focus on certain things, and I won't go into the details of it all, but there was there were certain things within that structure that started to sadden me, you know, and I started seeing it turn into something that, that grieved my heart. And I believe it grieved the heart of God as well, you know. I remember when we started, me and Justin started doing all the stuff that we started doing, There was there was this underlying focus with us that we wanted to see something that was out of control, that we wanted to see something of a fire begin to hit the marginalized, begin to hit the you know, the the unchurched, the unskilled, you know. Like we wanted to see something of an underground movement that would eventually become an overground movement. Something that would be totally organic, that would be a threat to the church, that would almost intimidate the church, that would somehow cause the church to grow, you know. I remember, you know, this guy Martin Scott saying once, he said, whenever God wants to do something new, he does it via Babylon. So what he does is he does something like through a lawnie Frisbee or or someone that is so outrageously out of the box. And then the church then gets stretched into new shape. But first and initially, the church has to be challenged. And I remember in those early days, you know, people, some of the big speakers, people like Rick Joyner, Paul Keith Davis, all these other people, they started speaking out against us because they were intimidated by You know, just that outrageous joy that we were seeing manifest, just that ecstasy that was coming. I mean, there was something like of a of an irritant, an agitation to the church that was manifesting. And I think it was really, really necessary. Mm-hmm. No one in the church was experiencing the glory of God. There was nothing of the supernatural. There was nothing of the presence manifesting. People were feeling stifled. We had people coming out of all sorts of church situations saying, I've had enough. I'm about to give up. I want to just go back. And I was having more fun in the world wherever. And then they were finding life in, in, in what we were putting on. And they started like really being transformed and, that was the focus of everything. And then I think over time I started seeing things becoming more palatable, things becoming more plausible. It seemed like the movement started being embraced by mainstream and people started being idolized instead of becoming instead of being seen as, as a maverick, people started becoming idolized. And it started troubling me. And I thought, where are we going with this? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's moving away from that initial focus and then it became more of a teaching movement as well and i think that teaching was necessary i think we have needed you know a real revelation of the gospel of jesus christ we've needed transformation in our minds it was necessary for guys like baxter Kruger and francois ditoire and other people to come along and really point us in the right direction when it came to like solid theology and stuff and i think all of that stuff was necessary But I think in all of that, we started losing something of an experience of God that was very raw, very radical, which was in the face of the church, where it was still about a wildfire, a John the Baptist in the wilderness, you know, that was crazy, that was just stirring things up, you know. And I think there was something that was starting to to go missing there. And then it was almost like we were preaching this message of grace as well. Yet we expected people, you know, to still show up at the next conference, to still give into the offerings. And there were certain things that those things are necessary. I get it. But I felt in some ways it was going down a certain road that was a little bit too much for, for me, anyway, for me personally, you know. And, and I started like getting troubled by someone that and wondering about it and wondering if there was a better way. And I saw myself a little bit as part of the problem. And whenever I be I, I think I'm part of the problem I then withdraw, you know? And I think I withdrew and then I think then that whole new age road became appealing to me and I think I focused a little bit. I didn't get into it too much, but I got into it enough to realise there was no glory on it. You know what I mean? And that I had left something behind, you know, of the presence of God. And um
0: Did you feel yeah, like all you people couldn't? Out there into um... that just... I'm sorry, what?
3: I said, all you people out there that are beginning to look into that and that are turning away from those beautiful truths that we have in Christ. I mean, just be careful. I mean, at the end of the day, God's glory is big enough. He will, he is always, he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That's the truth of it. And like wherever we go, he's there. And, you know, he gives us and allows us and gives us, you know, the ability to be able to explore. And he's not threatened by that in any way. Right. But the thing is, this is like we are free to make whatever decisions we want, but we're not free from the consequences of those decisions. And I see that God allowed me to pull away and to go down that road. And in many ways, you know, I'm I'm sort of glad that I did in some respects. But I'm but I'm now living in the consequences of those decisions. Mm-hmm. I'm alienated from my family in some respects. You know, I've my name has been like. You know totally trashed, any credibility that I had has been has been taken from me. you know I've hurt certain people you know there are you know there were people that trusted me that now don't know what to do with me, even though I'm in this amazing place and I've been for the last two years it's is uh yeah it's 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 quite a troubling road to walk down actually, you know, and sometimes it's good just to settle all those questions in your mind in your spirit, with people that you trust, you know, to just share some of your concerns about what you might be feeling, whether it's theologically or whether it's like the structure of the church, just, you know, just because those things might be there, it doesn't mean to say you've got to go on self-destruct and suddenly adopt a whole bunch of other stuff that isn't going to be profitable in your life. It's not, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Reconstruction is, there's like a huge movement of that happening right now. And, um, and I think some of that can be good, but there's that deeper reality, though, is that as we are questioning certain things, we can question it alongside God. We could go to God with our questions. We can go and just or just ask Holy Spirit, you know, what does this mean? Like, if you're upset about it, you can be upset about it and you can ask, you know, what does this mean and and search it out because God will help you, you know, Jesus will help you, Holy Spirit leads and guides us into all truth, so there's totally nothing wrong with questioning maybe how things are done or how things are said, but I do see this big deconstruction happening and people turning away from faith, and they, honestly, a lot of them, they seem pretty miserable, like they're not very happy, and they are very weighed down, and And I've even lately been going through a little bit of that. But I, after being an atheist for so long, I just can never turn away from God. And I've just learned early on, like, it doesn't matter how angry I get, how confused I get, that God loves me, wants the best for me, and is somebody that I can trust to be vulnerable with and that he will lead and guide me into all truth. And so... I've been wrestling with things this past year, Um, but in that wrestling, it's also brought a lot of freedom because I take my questions to him, and I may not get an answer right away, but it's amazing how he knows those desires that's in us. He knows those longings that are in us, and if we can trust and surrender those Um, places where we don't understand or we feel like our identity is so tied to the way that we've been taught to understand the scripture and now we see it in a whole new way and it just seems like it unravels everything if we can just surrender that unknowing to him it's amazing what will come through that it's almost like a seed that has to die Mm -hmm. to bring forth new life again you know like god is just so faithful to help us through those times and that's that stretching, that's that growing, and yeah. Anyways,
3: that's beautiful. No, that is that is really beautiful. We just shared, and thank you for being honest about that because lots of people are scared. I think we've been sold short by leadership as well. I think I think leadership is not helping what's happening here. I think I think leaders in the body of Christ, of course, that being more vulnerable and transparent with regards to what they're going through as well. With regards, like, you were just really open and, and shared a little bit of like, you know, what's been happening with you and some of the stuff you've been going through. That will help people.
1: Right.
3: Like, there's almost like this idolization of people within, you know, whatever movement there is. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like people who have got issues themselves they just beat themselves up even more and they feel more shameful and more guilty because they are not living like certain people are. And I know that every single one of those certain people have got issues that they're working through. Some of them have addictive personalities. You know, there's certain things that probably they're not proud of that's going on in their life. But the problem is for them to open up, they're probably scared that they're going to lose some popularity or you know, maybe lose some partnership or they won't be seen as any more as this great teacher because they're going through things, they're sharing personal things that is happening in their life. And the reality of it is every single one of those people are going through similar things to, to the people that they're preaching, you know, to and sharing the gospel with. And I think there has to come another point of vulnerability, the divide between those in leadership and those who... Cure the message has to start to like even out here. There has to be an equality. You know, the whole point of leadership is to come up under and to support and to encourage. And the best way to do that is by saying, I'm in the same boat as you. Mm -hmm. I'm in this with you. I mean, the Son of Man was tried and tested in every way. That's just how it is. You know, Jesus went through certain things. He probably got grouchy at certain times. And, you know, you want to leave, leave. You know what I mean? I don't care. Just go if you're going to go. You know what I mean? Who are my mother? Who are my brothers? You know what I mean? I don't care about these people at the moment. I'm doing this, you know? And it's like I think that's one of the things that I'm sort of like desiring right now is to see people in leadership start to really let the walls come down and start to, you know, really open up and be vulnerable about their situations and what they're going through and the things that they've had to – you know, learn on the on on the road. You know,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, it's okay. It's okay to say I don't know what I believe about this. Mm-hmm. We don't have to have all the answers. You know, I actually this is really cool. I um so when I was in when I was in prison, I eventually did nine months in prison. You can imagine. I saw all sorts of stuff. I was in with Mexican gangbangers. I was in with sex offenders, rapists. I was in, you know, with murderers. I was, I heard a million stories. There's so much I can share. Maybe we can talk about some of that stuff again. But while I was in there, someone who's really precious to me had an encounter with my angel. My angel actually visited this person. And I trust this person's prophetic gifting. I trust this person who he is. I know he's just a man of God. He's a good guy, you know. And he had an encounter with my angel, and my angel, he'd been worried about me. And he'd been praying and saying, dude, what about Dave Vaughan? You know, God, this is terrible. He's in an American prison. What's going on with him? How do I get hold of him? Wherever." And my angel showed up. And my angel had a book in his hand. And my angel said to him, you don't need to worry about Dave. Dave's going to be okay. Don't worry about him. It's all covered. Hmm. And he looked at the book in the hand of the angel, and it was Richard Rohr's book Falling Upwards. And this guy managed to get that book into my hand while I was in prison. And the weird thing is, like, I read that book, like, 15 years ago. And, it, and even though it was a great book, it didn't have that input. You know, some, you know sometimes you read a book and it's, like, great, but, yeah. y- you know. And then, and then you'll read it a little bit further down the road and it'll be, like, bam.
0: Right.
3: So I'm in, I'm in prison and I'm reading Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upwards. And I remember I read it over two days and I wept like a baby. But the whole premise of the book is this, that there are two stages. He says there are two stages in your life. There's the first stage and there's the second stage. The first stage of your life is usually driven by ego. It's driven by drive. It's driven by passion to be successful. You know, you want the microphone. You want the stand. You want to be the millionaire. You want to be on stage. You want a success. You want a big business. It's about you. It's about what you carry, your gifting, your personality, you know, and it's that drive to be successful in life, you know. Mm-hmm. Then he says usually between the age of 40 and 50, somewhere around then, usually is when it happens, you'll go through something in your life and it could be you go into prison. There's me in prison reading the book. It could be a death of a of a loved one. It could be, you know, you becoming bankrupt. It could be a divorce. It could be something like that that usually triggers something in you, where you then begin to walk in what he calls the second phase of life. And this second phase of life is where he says, you no longer feel that you have to be the one with the microphone, you no longer feel that you have to be the one who's the center of attention. That drive for success suddenly goes because you see success as a different animal totally. You're willing to sit back and be more responsive and listen more. You know, and not be so reactive. You don't want to be the one who feels he has all the answers. But in reality, you have more maturity and more wisdom and more glory resting on you because of what you've experienced and what you've gone through and the lessons that you've learned. And you actually become a source of God into the earth. And I read that book and it totally wrecked me. It totally transformed me. I feel like I'm beginning to embody some of what he talked about. You know, it'd be foolish of me to say that I'm in any great place, you know, because who am I to suggest anything? But I do know this. I know that, like, we have to come to a point where leaders no longer feel that they have to have an answer for everything, that they have to be the one with the new word, the new thought, the new cutting-edge preach, And actually come to a point where they just walk in so much maturity because of what they've gone through and because of the vulnerability of sharing that, they then walk in something of a maturity that is beyond anything we've experienced up until this point, you know. And I think when we start to see that break and when we start to see that happen, I think it'll bring transformation to the body of Christ, yeah. I remember when I went to Indonesia years ago with Daryl Stott. I went there in 2005, and I saw the revival there in Indonesia. Um, and one of the things that, like, really impressed me were the pastors were just the most humble, beautiful people. Like, they were like apostles. I mean, they there was a wisdom and a maturity on them, you know. When they would get up and share, the whole congregation would get up and applaud them because of the humility that they walked in. And you could see the brokenness on these people, you know, and the love they had not just for God but for the congregation. It wasn't about them. It was about everything but them. And yet they, their churches were exploding, you know, from 2,000 to 4,000 to 8,000. They built a stadium that would fit 8,000 people, and by the time they finished building it, they need one for 16,000. I mean, And yet they were the most humble, unassuming people, you know. And and my desire is to see that again, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. There's, Yeah, that's really beautiful. I have to read that book.
3: It's an incredible book. I would encourage anyone to read it, you know. And especially if you're going through things in your life and you feel like things are falling apart or you're questioning things. I mean, he talks a lot in there about, like, worries homelessness, you know, worries real homelessness, about how it's an issue of the soul when we don't know who we are and we wander, you know, and, and then he talks a lot about family, you know, worries what, what family, you know. You know, we're told in the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant is, uh, you know, honor your father, father and mother with promise, you know. And yet in the New Covenant, we see Jesus saying, like, who is my mother? Unless a man is willing to leave his mother and father. And it's a totally different concept, you know, mm-hmm. he explains all of that stuff, you know, and it's, it's beautiful, actually.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's something that um, has just really hit me. Um, I've gone through seasons where I felt like I had to have all the answers. And especially after coming out of atheism, um, I just became very radical in my beliefs. And because I'm encountering all these amazing things with God and learning all this stuff about Jesus. And so I became very radical and for a long time. And I still, I mean, up until recently, I've just felt like I always have to have the answers to help people, to help lead people into freedom and all this stuff. And um, But I've just felt like God has really put me in these situations that have humbled me. And they're kind of humiliating at the time, but when you're humbled with God... (laughs) it's safe and it's okay. And, and he brings healing into that place and people need vulnerability and that helps people to let go. It helps people to grow. And that's something that I have felt him strongly just keep bringing me back to and to keep me centered. And like that people need a place of refuge, you know, Um, And he's told me for years that I am a place of refuge, you know, that I'm I'm here to listen to people. That's a part of why I do this podcast, because people need that vulnerability. People long for that. I think that's part of why people love movies so much, you know, because it's like you really get to connect with the characters and you can you see what they're experiencing, you see what they're feeling, what they're going through And in many ways, people can relate. And it's reassuring to see somebody else feeling the way that you feel or have felt. And Jesus has felt and gone through anything that any of us would ever go through. And we can connect to him on that level. But as his body, we should be doing that as well, especially the leadership. So, yeah, that was great that you went there.
3: Thank you.
0: Too often, they... You know, the leaders will stay hidden in another room while they're praying for their service and then they come out and then they don't talk to anyone. They're talking at people. And then as soon as they're done teaching, then they leave again, you know, and that's always bothered me.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, like obviously, you know, I had ministry and I used to bring different people in it's so weird the way that, like, different ministries, different ministers sort of connect and relate with you and with the congregation, you know. And the the funnest times we ever had was when we just put the slosh vests on and we'd have 500, 400 people show up, and we'd have the right people in to share, you know, and and it would just be like one big drunken melee. There'd be no hierarchy. There'd be no, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I Actually, where I am here in Swansea, you know, I'm, I'm – me and me and Sarah will go and have a coffee or we'll go out and do some shopping or wherever and there's so much glory on us as a couple at the moment, I mean our our union together is so strong that God's presence just rests on us I mean, she's an incredible person who's very prophetic, you know and um, her dad set up Swansea City Mission Year and was like a guy who believed in healings and miracles and she grew up in that situation where miracles were normal, healings were normal, you know she knows what it is to believe and together we're just like so much glory there's just so much power when we're together and we're going out on the streets and people are just coming up to us and like what is it about you guys you know what is it that i'm experiencing like (laughs) what's happening
2: and we're just loving on people and touching people and wherever and like
3: i know we're so close now audrey to seeing those healings and those miracles break out to seeing Legs grow out, you know. Eyeballs open, whatever, you know. Yeah. And, and then, and then, uh, and then, see those dead raisins, you know. Dead raising fun, you know. Dead raisins. <laughs> but my concern is this: that like, we're not part of like, you know, organized church here in Swansea, and 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 you know that there have been people, you know, in these churches that have been praying for years and years and years for revival and for a move of God, wherever. And you know that probably some of the reason they haven't seen that is because of the structure of the church and everything else, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, You know that there's stuff that needs to be touched there. And the sad thing is, you know, we start to see stuff happening here and the glory of God starts breaking out. You know that the church then is going to want to take ownership of stuff that's happening and try and sort of put their mark on it and like get their hands on it and it's the way that it always is, you know, and it's, it's it's sad, man. It's just really, really sad. You know, that is the reality of the situation, you know. Like, how do you keep a move of God flowing and keep it hidden away, you know, because the reality of it is you know it's going to explode. When the Welsh Revival started here in 1904, within a week, there were journalists coming from London to write about the whole thing. I mean, all of the churches started to explode, explode with the glory of God, and like there is no way to keep that thing contained you know and um yeah i uh i remember when i went i went to Kobus van Rensburg's church in South Africa years ago and uh, he he invited me into his office and he said come on in and i'm sat there with him and we're chatting away and then he said to me he said Davey said I, I had a dream and he said um i was in this like graveyard and he said i'm i'm watching myself in a graveyard And he said, it was crazy. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Why am I in this graveyard? You know, he's watching himself in the dream. And then he said, all of a sudden, he said he watches himself in the dream say, in the name of Jesus, rise up. And he said, the ground starts to shake. And out of the graves, bodies of dead people start to rise up and the dead starts to get raised. And then he said, you the Lord in an audible voice say, that day is coming, Comus, that day is coming. I'm like,
1: wow.
3: we can't make, we can't make that stuff happen. We, we can't, there is, and there's no obligation. <laughs> there's no responsibility on me to make any of that happen. There is no drive to have to pray and to have to push and I have to make something so crazily supernatural happen. I can't make that stuff. The government doesn't rest on my shoulders. I can't make any of that happen. But what if, what if we're living in a day right now where we get so caught up and in my with God that He starts to reveal some of the secrets and some of the desires of His heart to see things like that take place in the in the land? You know, yeah. It's like what if, you know, just what if, just a question, you know. But I'm not pushing anything. I'm not saying that this is what's going to happen. I'm saying, what if, what if, what if that starts to like desire on the inside of us and we start to manifest something as powerful as that? In Man, the kingdom of God is a matter of, of power. It's not just yeah. a matter of word. You know, he said, when you go preach and say the kingdom of God is at hand and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out devils and whatever else, you know, I think I see something of a restoration of that focus coming now, you know. Yeah. And uh, I'm willing to go on a journey in that, you know? Yeah. Wherever I'm wrong in it all, I'm sure there'll be, you know, some correction that will come. God's merciful to me. He loves me, you know? <laughs> not bothered about it.
0: <laughs> Thank God.
3: Yeah, it's great. Yeah,
0: it's a good daddy.
3: Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, he is.
0: That's so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I know we said we could only talk for about an hour, so maybe we could wrap it up there but yeah i'd love to have you back some other time if we wanted to dive into other topics or if any of the listeners have any suggestions or questions and feel free to um, comment below or email me
3: definitely you can find me on facebook i'm just sort of put dave Vaughn into facebook you know you probably get me up on there as a mutual friend of yours and stuff yeah and your Um, posts have been
0: so encouraging and inspiring so yeah,
1: it's really.
3: Yeah, I mean, like I just, you know, I don't feel like I said I don't feel under any pressure, and it's not as if I'm trying to make anything happen. I mean, right. I've been two and a half years now on this journey of just restoration, and I'm enjoying the journey. To be honest, mm-hmm. it's just been amazing. You know, there's certain things that I need to see level out in my life a little bit. here. Um, I'm not really seeking ministry right now. It's, it's a, it's a bit of a dichotomous situation because. I'm not seeking ministry i am not got a website there's nothing that i really you know feel that i need to be setting up other than i want to do more regular podcasting and just talking about stuff mm-hmm. um but at the same time i feel i have so much that i just want to bless people with you know um but there's no drive to have to make that happen you know right. there's no push for ministry or any of that stuff you know i'm just Happily going along with, you know, with whatever is happening relationally between me and God, and you know, and just enjoying that, enjoying God's presence, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but yeah, I'd love to come on and share some more stuff at some other time. And thank you for having me because, like I said, I don't get too many invites these days. I mean, once you get a domestic violence charge, it's not as if everyone's queuing up at your door, you know.
2: <laughs> but they all believe in grace, right? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty amazing, really. It's where the rubber hits the road, isn't there? It's like... I agree. I agree. Oh, I'm so glad Dave Vaughn is restored and everything, and he's in a good place, but I don't want to go anywhere near him with those charges hanging over him, you know?
0: Oh. Well, I can imagine. I know how people can be, you know, and they don't, like you said, they don't want to lose uh, supporters or followers or any of that kind of stuff and
3: oh bless them you know
2: like people got to do what they got to do you know
3: and uh, i'm just happy to be where i'm at and like just enjoying life and i appreciate you for having me on you know
0: yeah well i really appreciate you coming on and not letting those judgments and how people have been treating you or not treating you um keep you from coming on and sharing you know because i I see you as a brother. I mean, that's the reality of it is like if we believe in the grace of God, we believe in the body of Christ and we really do believe in his unconditional love, then who am I to judge you, you know, and to to say that what God's doing in your life isn't worth sharing with people? Because there are other people out there who feel like they can't turn back to God or they feel closed off or they feel stuck or they feel confused or they're deconstructing, but, and it's messing with their faith. It's like, they need to hear your story. They need to hear other people's stories that vulnerability can help people know that they're not alone and it can really, really shine a light to help lead them back out of maybe a dark path that they're turning down. Um, you know, or this, this dark cloud that may be hovering over them, you know, we can help lead them out of that. So I think it's really important. And like I said, I see you as a brother in Christ. And so I'm excited for your life. I've loved seeing your updates and I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you over the years a lot. Cause like I went to, I did go to a slosh fest in 2010 in Austin and um, cool. that was fun. Um, but after that I got offended at all the, the glory stuff for a while. <laughs> it is, it's, um, quite an
3: it's quite an offensive message, isn't it? Yes it is. Yes, I can I can totally see why people would be offended. My God, man. It's like, yeah, I I get it. I totally get it. Like like Paul, you know, imagine Paul, he's out there murdering Christians everywhere and then he has this transformation, you know, on the road to Damascus wherever. And then all of a sudden, it's like he's wanted to go and preach to the Christians. It's like, I don't want that guy around me. He ain't coming anywhere around me.
2: You know what I mean? Killing yeah. people off. There. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's that radical grace. It's so good.
3: I can see, I can see a massive move of, of prodigals coming back, man. The, the, you know the weird thing, Audrey? When I, when I, I hadn't been on Facebook for about four years, and I came back to the UK. Like I said, I was deported in between two federal marshals, that was fun. They come and grab me from, from I I did my prison time, and then um, instead of letting me out, the judge released me to go, but they kept me there for, like, a week. And I'm thinking, why did they not release me? The judge has said, like, you know, I got probation, I'm a good boy, wherever done my time. And uh, all of a sudden, like, you know, these federal marshals come and pick me up, and they take me to a federal hold, and I'm there for a month with... A bunch of Guatemalans and San Salvadorians that were all re- getting ready to either go to prison because they, you know, kept coming across the border no. or were getting ready to be released back into their own country. So I'm there with them for like a month and that was fun. And uh, some stories with that, my word. And then uh, I end up coming back and then I end up resetting up my Facebook and I hadn't been on Facebook for like four years. And then obviously I realized that I've got some explaining to do and that and I happily, Put videos out there where I shared with people about my journey and where I'd messed up and how sorry I was and you know how I'd done my time and was back in the UK and how I just wanted to share my journey to try and encourage people and um, I had probably about 200 messages off people and I had several messages off men who were like Dave do you know what I was in a situation where it was really a domestic violence situation And, you know, my girl handled it in a way where they basically said, I could have been in your situation. I could have been locked up. If my girl would have, like, turned me into the police, if she'd have said anything, I was very aggressive, and I should never have done what I did. And they were saying, but my girl never handed me into the police. And I feel, you know, every day shame and guilt over what I've done. And would you pray for me? And... I had so many opportunities I had so many people because I was willing to come out and say I messed up I had so many people get in touch with me asking me sharing with me vulnerably their stories asking me to pray with them you know and I've seen some of those guys now return back to Christ as well wow. because of, you know because of the forgiveness they received from that situation you know wow so it's yeah, been it's been an incredible it's been an incredible journey really I, like I have a powerful testimony, you know, and that that's the same the shameful thing in there is like to have a testimony, you've got to go through a test, you know, and yeah. I, I went through a test and I failed miserably, you know and God, I needed God's grace and God's mercy to come and just lovingly restore me, but then when you get to that place of restoration, you want to be able to help people, but the only way you can do that is by being honest about about your situation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. that's, what, that's what I would say to people out there. Just, just be honest. Be vulnerable, man.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, God's not going to think anything less of you when you share your heart of struggle with people. You know, mm-hmm. He's not not overly impressed with you when you talk great theology, and in the same way, He's not ashamed of you when you share your heart and say, "Do you know what I'm struggling in some areas?" He knows all about you anyway. He's not impressed with anything. He's not disgusted in anything. He just loves you. you know?
0: That's so true.
3: <laughs> I love you, Audrey. Thanks for having me.
0: Love you too. Thank you so much for being on. Would you just maybe close us out in prayer and just bless people with whatever's in your heart?
3: Yeah. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share some of my journey and some of my experience with you. And I pray, God, that whoever is listening right now, wherever they're going through, wherever they're at, that they would just meet with you in the most powerful and profound way. I pray your glory and your presence into every heart, into every home, into every situation. And I ask, Lord, that hearts would be opened, that minds would be opened, that your glory would reveal just that, that way to be able to respond and react to you in the right way. Lord, pray. I pray that people will see that it's okay to share their hearts. It's okay to share their struggles. It's okay to say, you know, I am messed up and I've been hiding things away that I'm ashamed of. It's okay to declare where they're at with certain sin issues Because somehow it's in the confessing of those things that we receive that ultimate forgiveness that we've already been given by you. You're never far from any one of us, God, and I pray that that awareness of your glory would just hit every person who's listening right now and that your presence would just invade and overwhelm and subdue each heart and each home in the name of Jesus.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. Be sure to visit eatmedrinkmepodcast.net to see all the ways we have created for you to join the conversation, to connect with myself and others, to become a supporter or patron of the show, and to subscribe. You all are amazing, and I'm so thankful to God for you. I hope you have a blissful day.
1: Sucking out the poison and the pain Child, you took my pain, you suffered shame to make me human, to make me yours, I can't